stand up? Will you join us and sing? Let's sing to the God who has given us all we need in Christ Jesus. Amen. to the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We finished our year last year with Christmas Eve service talking about that, and now we're singing to a never-changing God. Lord, let that be our prayer this morning as we continue to worship you, as we bring our cares and our worries and our anxieties, even our excitements for this new year. Let them all rest on your shoulders, and let us be held by you today as we continue to sing your truths in Jesus' name. Amen.
morning. God, as we come, and, and I'm, I'm sure we have things we want to change in this new year, resolutions. Lord, we know that we can do nothing without you, without your spirit in us and your word that guides us. Lord, would you help us as we humble ourselves before a mighty God who loves us and we cast our cares on you because you do love us. Lord, would you be praised this morning as we continue in worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah. Um, so what I, what I love about the opportunity to do baptisms on a day like this is, you know, this time of the year seems to be the, the, the time of the year where we're all bombarded with um, running shoe advertisements telling us, New Year, New You, and you need to get to the gym. And if you don't, you need to be guilt-tripped or buy these shoes. And um, what I love about uh, this time of the year is it's, it's a reminder that... Um, the human mind at some level desires renewal and, and, and that, that God himself has wired us to desire this renewal. And, and the fact that we, at the turn of a new year, actually want to be renewed in some way points to a creator. And it's, it's this beautiful picture. Um, and it's a beautiful opportunity for us in the new year to reflect on the power of the gospel. And I, and I love that. there. And I don't think there's a better way to reflect on the power of the gospel than to celebrate baptism and continuing worship together this morning. Now, um, I, want, I want to tell you something, though. Baptism doesn't save you. And I know we, every time we do baptisms, we say that. We say that baptism doesn't save you. Um, the power of the gospel does not rest in the water. The power of the gospel does not rest in the ritual. The power of the gospel does not rest in the activity. The power of the gospel rests in the sun. And baptism is a physical representation of the faith that has taken place in the work of the person being dunked. And I want to read something to you in Romans chapter 6, it's verses 3 through 7. It's this, it's this beautiful picture of how in baptism we are seeing a representation of Christ's death and his resurrection. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, for one who has died has been set free from sin. The power of the gospel is in the sun and the power of the gospel is that we now have victory over sin. Death has been defeated. Death has died. Sin is no more. And the rejuvenating power of the Holy Spirit has then empowered the person being baptized to go show and tell of the good news of Christ. And something that's very interesting about baptism is while the person up here is publicly declaring their faith in Christ before you, saying, this is who I'm with. I'm with Christ. I will live my life with Christ. I will represent Christ. This is who I am. This is my identity. My identity has now been found in the Lord. There's also a challenge to you. Because if, if you're in here and you believe in Christ and you are saved, then you should be walking around with eyes open looking for the people that God has called you to move near to. Because as believers in Christ, we are called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that Jesus has commanded us, and Jesus is with us in that. And so as believers in Christ in here, we should have our radar up of saying, okay, God, who in the world are you wanting me to, to come close to? And the interesting thing about baptism is God is showing you somebody who he may be impressing you to move close to. Because what we see in baptism is we see somebody who's new in the faith, who needs somebody who's been in the journey a little longer than them to come alongside them and show them what it looks like to live a life in Christ, to walk with them when they're, when they're, when they're, when they're hurting, to walk with them when they're, when they're experiencing victory, experiencing victory to, to teach them the amazing truths of Scripture. And so in baptism, not only are we encouraged and celebrating um, God at work in somebody else, but we are also challenged ourselves, asking ourselves, God, is this somebody you want me to move close to? Somebody you want me to invest in? 
are these one of the people you want me to disciple and work with? So um, I would love for you guys to meet Navelle and her family. She's coming out now. So this is Navelle. Navelle is a hype student. She'll tell you a little bit about herself, but I would love for you all to say hello to Navelle. So everybody say hi, Navelle. I grew up in a Christian home and in Christ teaching churches. My parents taught me and my siblings how to love the Lord. I've decided that I want to dedicate my life to God. I want others to know that God is a part of my life through my words, actions, friendships, and how I serve him. One of my goals for the new year is to share the word of God to others around me. Oh, so that's Navelle. Go ahead and get in there. So baptism is all of these things that I just said, but even more than that, I, I pray that as we celebrate baptism today, that you guys would join us in welcoming Navelle to the family of God, because that's what this is. This is an initiation for her into the family of God. So let's do that together. Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Yes. All right. I now baptize you in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. morning again. Happy New Year. We're grateful that you're here and chosen to be with us. Uh, John, if you're looking for your Bible, it's up here on the stage. So um, I want to share with you some Crosspoint family news so you can be praying. This past week, uh, George Jenkins uh, had a second brain surgery. He had one about uh, 20 months ago. And so uh, be praying for George and Kim um, as, as he recovers from that surgery to remove uh, the tumor. The doctors were very positive about what they're able to remove, but uh, now comes chemo and all of that. So be praying for them as they walk out this uh, road, as they trust in God in these days ahead, all right? First impression volunteers, if you want to begin passing out the uh, connection card booklets down the rows, that'd be awesome. Uh, this is a way for you to be able to communicate with church staff and leadership as far as ways we can be praying for you and those kind of things. If you're new with us today, we're grateful that you're here and chosen to be with us together. Uh, on this first day of the new year, you can fill out that gray section. If you're a regular tender member, fill out the top. A few next steps I want to draw your attention to. One is baptisms. Uh, we are baptizing uh, somebody next week as well. And uh, believe it or not, we'll actually change out the water for you. And, um, and so uh, just because we love you that much. And so you can uh, check baptisms there if that's a next step for you. And a pastor will be in contact and we'll talk this week. Other next steps. If you're not serving in a ministry yet, Mark the bottom of that, that you're interested in serving in a ministry, and we'd love to be able to connect you to something and let you try uh, a way to serve here in 2017 and a way to serve around here. And then finally, on January, 28, or January 18th, we are beginning a new community group targeted at encouraging, strengthening, uh, challenging marriages. And so uh, you can mark community groups and write marriage next to that if that applies to you. Many of you may not be connected to a community group right now, and this would be a great one for you to jump into if you're married. Some of you, maybe you are married, but it would be, uh, or maybe you're, you're married and you're in a group, but it'd be very wise for you to take three and a half months and say, we need to focus on our relationship. We need to have this intentional time where we are going to grow in our relationship. Uh, if you're interested to find out more about that, Mark marriage, but, or Mark community groups on there. But this past fall, we took three uh, leader couples through the material, through the content, so that they can lead this, help lead this ministry here starting on the 18th. But one of those leaders wrote this testimony after the class was over, and I think it's going to encourage you as you consider whether or not to be a part of this. They wrote this, we both were apprehensive about starting Reengage, which is what this content or uh, ministry is called. We were both uh, apprehensive about starting Reengage as we weren't sure we were, we were prepared to share our dirty laundry with others. It turned out we were more apprehensive of sharing our thoughts and feelings with each other. We weren't naive enough to think that we had the perfect marriage, but this class pointed out that we were glossing over important areas such as dealing with selfishness, anger, and emotional intimacy. We realized in certain situations our expectations of each other were causing conflict and that we both had different styles of dealing, dealing with conflict. Reengage pointed out 
that we were failing to forgive each other as God forgives. Instead, we were holding each other accountable for our sins, actions, in a way that is not healthy for our marriage. Reengage is not a step-by-step program to fix your marriage. Rather, it's a toolbox designed to help you learn to love yourself and love your spouse the way God intends us to do. Once you put aside the world's view of a, of a perfect marriage and instead let God lead your marriage, you truly have the ability to deal with the issues that every married couple has to face. One of the best things for us about Reengage was the time we spent working together on the lessons. For many years, we have unintentionally been ignoring making time in our schedules to talk about and work on our spiritual lives together. Even after the class, we are now committed to keeping this time on our calendars. We know that with God's help, we can learn to love each other the way He intends, and we are looking forward to seeing how He uses us to grow our marriage. We highly encourage this class for all couples, regardless of how long you've been married, as, as you discover so much about your marriage. We have a special connection now with our group and are looking forward to working with others as they re-engage their marriages. So clear your schedule. Okay? We, we, we make a lot of excuses about, um, well, we've got to do this and this and this. And there comes a time and place where we say, no, we need to focus on this. We need to grow in this. And so if you're part of a community group and you love it and you're growing, stay there. But if you need to step out and be in a season where you grow your marriage, then step out. And if you're not connected to a community group, then, then get involved if this one applies to you. All right? This past, uh, past few years, and especially this past year, I've, I've developed some great friendships with pastors in Central Illinois area, and primarily it seems to be kind of along Route 24 of uh, El Paso, Gridley, Washington, many of which are along that stretch there. And I, I just want to share with you a couple things that I believe will encourage you as we are a church seeking to have a kingdom mindset. Not an all-about-us mindset, but a kingdom mindset. I'd been sharing uh, with one of the pastors at Community Bible Fellowship in El Paso about the Gospel Project and and the encouraging things we'd heard from parents that are trying to walk with their kids, looking at the same content week to week, or people that are helping to get a better uh, understanding of the overall story of Scripture in this journey. And so uh, they began this three-year chronological journey this past September And so be praying for them as they are seeking to see the gospel take up new ground in the El Paso area. And then I got a call on Friday that some of our kids' materials, which we've helped them out with in community group stuff, some of our kids' materials are going to help a church plant in uh, Flanagan that's starting up at the end of January. And so I love the kingdom mindset there. And then I also want to draw your attention to something else. Uh, we, We are partnering together with Community Bible Fellowship in El Paso, Christ Community in Gridley, and then Lexington Community in Lexington to offer this four-session class called To the Ends of the Earth. And there is a, a semester-long class called Perspectives when it comes to missions. This is a shrunk-down four-session gathering of that class. And so it's going to be offered at each church once a month starting January 12th, I believe, is the first one. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Even if you can't make all three of them, if you can make it to one, I think it would help you and help us Uh, drive deeper about why we do missions, why God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, the work to be done, the work um, that has been done, the work yet to be done. And so you can find details about that back at Guest Connections. All right, week four of our series, Exile and Return. If you have a Bible, get to the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter six. If you have yet to get the adult or student resources, get those today. Next Sunday, will be the last Sunday for those. Today we're looking at probably the most famous story in uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. A story that we may be familiar with even if we didn't grow up in church. And there are several things we can pull from the story when it comes to application. But the one I want us to pull from and really emphasize this morning and look at is the subject of prayer. In August of this past year, I preached a couple messages calling us, trying to call us as a church to, to a deeper prayerfulness. The challenge of church world or really anything in life is to, is to not be a squirrel and just kind of jump from this one and this one and this one. And, but it's, the challenge is trying to maintain a focus on something. And that's what my heart is here. So I don't want us to talk about growing in prayerfulness in August and then lose sight of that come mid-ministry year here in January. I don't even remember what I said in August. I don't expect that you would remember what I said in August. And so I believe it is God's beautiful providence that he would take us to Daniel 6 today 
and that we would be able to look at uh, the life of Daniel. And what we really see is this disciplined and deep prayer life of Daniel. And I think it's going to be an encouragement to us as we begin this new year together. In the book of Daniel, we are tempted to make Daniel out to be the hero, but what we continually see is God as the hero. One commentary said this, Daniel acts on the grace God repeatedly provides, but God is always the one who first provides the opportunity, resources, and rescue needed for Daniel's faithfulness. And so we'll see Daniel pray and be bold in chapter 6, but God is the hero. God is the one who miraculously protects and delivers, who uses Daniel's faithfulness as a way to reach the nations. Because God is the hero and all things are possible with him, that's why we pray. That's why we are invited to pray, and that's why we say yes to that invitation. He is steadfast in his faithfulness, and so we are asking God to display that faithfulness, that power, that love in the lives of the people around us, in our own lives, and in this world. So the context of Daniel 6 6 is God's people are in exile. They're foreigners in this new land. From the first time we were in Daniel, from the last time we were there, to now there's a new king that's over Babylon. New leadership that's over Daniel. But just like the former leadership, this new leadership affirms Daniel and recognizes his skills and abilities and his talents and, and gives him abundant favor. The new king is named Darius, and he's not part of the Hootie and the Blowfish, but, um, but he recognizes Daniel's talents and shows great favor to him. Daniel is distinguished above all the rest, even though he is a foreigner, even though he was once kidnapped and a slave to, this, to the Babylonians. And Daniel is old in chapter 6. He is old. So for the sun chasers in here, for the kids in here, and when I say Daniel is old, what number do you think that is? All right, just, throw, just shout out numbers. This will be humbling for the rest of us in this room. All right, just numbers. Of how, if, if Daniel is old, how old do you think that is? 98. What else? 81. 70? 75. Anybody else? 30? Yes, that's the kind I was looking for. I remember when that felt old. Uh, anybody else? 63. He is in his mid-80s in this story, in chapter 6. He served the nation now faithfully for 70 years, living in a land that was not his own, living in a land full of people who did not worship his God, but worshiped idols and small g gods. We would assume that after 70 years of faithful service, 70 years of favor being shown to him, him rising to the top, that trials and tests would not come his way anymore. Because it's mid-80s. You've been faithfully serving. God, God would protect you and spare you from a trial at that age, right? And we'd be wrong if we would assume that. Verse 1, chapter 6, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel has a bright future ahead of him, even at this age. He's been shown favor. He's been given responsibility, power, influence. He's got 120 leaders under him, and at one point he was alongside two others, but he's raised himself, and God's uh, raised himself up above those as well. So he's on top of the pyramid. He has the corner office. He has all the influence, the responsibility of this kingdom. And why? Well, verse 3 says he had an excellent spirit in him. God's spirit was alive in him. Daniel was faithful to the Lord, but it was the Lord's power through Daniel that opened up this door for him, that allowed him to receive that favor. The future is so bright that Daniel's got to wear shades. Right, that's a terrible 80s joke, so some of you uh, may get that. But this trial is up ahead, though. The, The horizon is great, but something is coming up. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. 
Jealousy and envy are growing in these leaders that he was once alongside and who is now, he's now over. They're trying to find some area of vulnerability that would take him out, that would allow them to rise up and allow to, to see him diminish. But I love this. They couldn't find anything. He was the same in public and private. He was a leader with integrity. He wasn't two-faced. This reminds me of what Peter's words in the New Testament writes to us, charges us about how we are to live in 2017, but also echoes back to a story like this in Daniel 6. Peter writes this, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see see your good deeds, and glorify God on the day He visits us. So may we be a people in 2017 who abstain, reject sinful desires, and instead seek to live such God-glorifying lives full of good deeds that God would get the glory and that we wouldn't, that our Father in heaven would be praised. Daniel is living such a good, God-glorifying life. They can't find fault. So then, verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they know this is the only way to get at Daniel. They've got to get him into the situation where they think he's going to compromise, where he's going to go back on his convictions, where he was once resolved to uh, uh, honor God's word. They're going to try to get get him into a situation where he is going to go against that. They're going to try to get him to compromise. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So these high officials now have gotten the king to issue this law that says you don't pray to anyone except King Darius for 30 days. So you've got this situation building here between uh, jealous and envious leaders Daniel, seeking to honor God, love God, be devoted to Him. We see where this is going, right? Will Daniel compromise? Will he take 30 days off from his walk with the Lord? Will he take 30 days off from worship and prayer? Where will Daniel... <laughs> awesome. Where will, where will his trust be in this moment? I mean, the circumstances aren't great. But Christians are not those who seek to only trust God when circumstances are great. Instead, faith in Christ leads us to trust in God at all times. Here's what God's not promising you in 2017, a safe, easy, comfortable, carefree life. He's not promising that you will not experience trouble or trial in this year ahead. He is promising for those who trust and love Him that He will not forsake you, that He will be near and present with you, and He will lead you and He will guide you. We trust in God based on His character, not based on our circumstances. So we're going to see that truth play out in Daniel's life. He doesn't question God's character or His faithfulness when trials come, but rather this trial is just another opportunity to express His devotion to and His love and trust in God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Every situation, about anything. I mean, there's no asterisk by this verse that, that is some sort of qualifier that doesn't qualify for do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Around our house, we call it um, talking to your father all the time and about everything. So whether what's on the horizon is bright or not so bright, either way, we pray. We reject anxious living. In 2017, as God's people, we reject anxious living. We abstain from that sinful desire because that's what it is. 
That's what it is. We reject that. Instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we present our requests to God because our God is more than able, because our God is sovereign, because our God is on a throne. Here's what I know about each of us in this room. In the year ahead, you and I are going to face trials and challenges. Some may alter our days. Some may alter our weeks, our months. Some may alter our lifetimes. There are some households that experienced trials and tests this last year, loss that, that, that changed their lifetimes. But in all those things, the small, the light momentary, the big, the life-altering, we need to be a people that are resolved to say that no matter what, we are going to, we're going to confess our dependency upon the Lord, that we're going to say no to worry, and we're going to say yes to trusting in, in a God who is sovereign over that trial, sovereign over all of time. So this new law has been issued by King Darius, and we pick it up in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open told open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel knew. He knew. He's second in command. This law is not going to uh, um, avoid his, his notice. See, what would be less challenging to us is we read this and we go, and Daniel begins praying and, and somebody calls out, well, did you know there's a new law? I didn't know there's a new law. What? And that would be less challenging to us. But here, he knew. He knew the injunction, the law had been signed. And yet he still prayed. He didn't go underground. He didn't hide. He didn't shrink back. As one commentary said, when devotion seemed only to promote disaster, Daniel remained prayerfully dependent on the grace of God rather than his own wisdom or work. When devotion seemed only to promote disaster, Daniel remained prayerfully dependent on the grace of God rather than his own wisdom or work. Here in verse 10, Daniel's not just making a statement about his God. He's making a statement about his relationship with his God. That he's not going to take 30 days off from his relationship. He's not going to take 30 days off from his devotion. He's not going to pick it back up a month later. He's not going to put obedience and faithfulness on the shelf in order to try to seek comfort or ease or a conflict-free type of life. He's going to remain dependent on God. See, we falsely assume that the Christian faith is, has no danger, no risk, no adventure. But Daniel here is praying in the face of danger. His testimony is telling those watching him, my faith impacts every area of my life, not just some my faith in my God is so anchored that it's going to lead me to do countercultural things. It's going to lead me to reject living for myself or making it all about me. He's acting in full knowledge of the consequences. He could have rationalized this and said, well, uh, my future is, looks good. Um, I'm just going to take 30 days off and uh, I'm just going to go underground. I'm going to go out to the woods. I'm going to go to my basement and, and it'll be fine. but he doesn't. He went to his house and he goes to the second floor. He opens up the window, faces Jerusalem, and prays three times a day. He's not hiding. And notice the end of verse 10 that says, as he had done previously. So this is just who Daniel was. This was the, the, the discipline and the routine of his life. He didn't start doing this when the trial came. But when the trial came, he just kept doing what he'd always done, and that was to pray. The leader guide said this. I thought it was so good. Daniel knew that past faithfulness would be no substitute for present faithfulness. Instead, the past had simply prepared him for the present and the future. One's character is not forged in the moment of adversity, but revealed in the moment of adversity. So we see Daniel's character being revealed here, and it's glorifying to God. Maybe we look at this and we go, well, well, Daniel's doing exactly what Jesus told us not to do in Matthew 6. When Jesus said, don't, look, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues 
and on the street corners, that they may be seen by men. Jesus was warning against our, our love for praise for prayer. He wasn't saying it was wrong to be seen in public praying. That's an overcorrection. That's a misinterpretation. What he is saying, it's wrong to, to want to be seen in public so that others might say, wow, look at you, you're so spiritual. Look at your devotion. It's about the motivations of your heart. See, there's this consistency to Daniel's faith. It's been consistent for 70 years. And he's not going to stop for a month. I pray that the lives of cross-pointers, that we are, when we are in our mid-80s, approaching 90, that we'd be able to look back and see faithfulness upon faithfulness that our lives, there would be this consistency to our walk with the Lord that, that we'd be able to say, grandkids, come here. Let me tell you about when I chose faithfulness in my 30s and how that impacted your life long before you were here. So these jealous and proud leaders have evidence against Daniel. Verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, is who, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. You feel the angst here of King Darius. Darius doesn't know this God of Daniel personally, but what he does know of this God is that nothing is impossible with him. That this God has the ability to deliver Daniel even from a den of lions. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Not man is my judge, but God is my judge. And this is why he continues to pray despite knowing the consequences. Daniel's life is centered on, it's built on God. And that impacted and shaped how he approached prayer. If God is who we say matters most in our lives, then we should talk to him first. We should seek to hear from him first. We talk to our Father all the time and about everything. Daniel's not just kind of floating from one thing to the next. He's not being tossed back and forth, but he is anchored. He is resolved to love God and to depend on God and to pray because God knows him. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So you've got some shadows here of Easter and the resurrection, right? A stone being rolled in, and with that stone we assume hopelessness. It's all dead. Nothing's going on now. This story's over. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, and he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to, to, to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded 
And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. In the midst of this trial, this great moment of danger and adversity, Daniel is resting in God. He's hoping in God. And God protects those malicious, the, the wicked who tried to get Daniel killed, their hope was in themselves, in their own wisdom, in their own schemes, and it doesn't lead to a good place. I love how Daniel gives God glory. My God, he says in verse 22. My God is the one who is able. Listen again to the verse uh, 23. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. See, God is the hero. God is faithful, so Daniel trusts. God answers, so Daniel prays. God protects, so Daniel hopes in him. That's the order of things. God is who he says he is. That's why we pray. That's why we seek him. That's why we worship him. Verse 25 then, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make, it, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So under the reign of Cyrus the Persian, that's where God's people are going to return to the promised land. And we pick that story up in Ezra next week. But that last sentence is a reminder that God is faithful. God has been faithful to Daniel through all those years of exile and will be faithful in the return. And now we see in this story that God is working through his people to spread his glory and name to the nations. This nation is being reached here through the obedience of one of God's people. King Darius is bowing in reverence to the God of Daniel. Before the lion's den, Darius was, not, was going to bow to no one. Well, something changed. He saw God as greater, and that would not have happened had the den of lions not occurred. See, Darius knew that he needed to move his trust away from himself and onto this great God who was able to deliver a man from a den of lions. See, some of you have yet to do that, to move your trust away from yourself and place it upon the Son of God who was born and who lived, died, rose again for you. My prayer is that in this new year, you'd make that transition. You would humble yourself and place your trust in a God who is far greater and who knows you, who created you and longs for you to be in relationship with him. See, the trial that Daniel persevered through, it led to a testimony. Faithfulness in the trial led to this faithful testimony for the Lord. Don't miss that truth there. The trial leads to the testimony. And it does so that when the, because in the midst of that trial, we continue to depend upon the Lord. We, make our, we, we confess our dependency, dependency upon Him. One hope I have for us as a church is that we'd be full of people who would depend upon the Lord completely and confess that through prayer. Daniel prays here, and it not only leads to his rescue, but it leads to mission. It leads to the nations being reached. God's prayer life, or Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and regular. He, he didn't start this consistent routine when the trial came, but that's just what he was already doing. This was his foundation, and it needs to be ours as a church. It needs to be yours for your household. For, it needs to be yours as a follower of Christ. The bedrock of our ministry and mission as a church, it needs to be prayer. And, and maybe we hear that Daniel prayed three times a day and we, we go, well, we don't want to create this legalistic number or, or anything. And I don't believe that that's an application of this, that this is the standard for how we are to pray. Because Paul raises the bar to this infinite level in the New Testament and says, pray continually or pray without ceasing. 
But I also think Christians in our day are so afraid of becoming legalistic that in a sense, we create a new legalism where we basically reject anything that calls us to discipline, routine, or habits. We forget that words like train, work out, strive are all in the New Testament. And they're all related to us growing in godliness. So we create this new legalism that kind of rejects all of those things. Christians are notoriously overcorrecting the faith. And so we say, well, well, we want to pray continually and without ceasing, but, but I don't want to fall into a rut. So, And the rut we fall into is prayerlessness because we don't strive, work out, grow. John Piper said this, Discipline is not the boring substitute for spontaneity and power, but the garden where it grows. You till the garden with patient discipline and suddenly God makes a plant grow with supernatural power. So this year, my prayer for us, my challenge for us is that we would, we would till that garden of prayerfulness with patient discipline. And here's what I'm calling us to. I read a book this last, uh, last year called Imperfect Pastor and John and Eric and I read it together and it was a great encouragement to us as pastors and shepherds and Loved the title and loved the content of it. But one of the things he talked about is to break up your days, and there's no rocket science about this, but to break up your days between morning, afternoon, evening, and the night watch, he called it. So 6 a.m. to noon, noon to 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then the night watch of those eight hours, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I believe we need to create some hard stops to our days. In the, in the seasons and the moments of our days, as we transition from morning, afternoon, evening, and night watch. And I know it's not always that clear, but and yet there's this rhythm to our days, I believe, that if we created some hard stops to we got up in the morning, before we transitioned to the afternoon somewhere over lunch hour, before we moved into the evening, whatever the evening would hold for us, and then in reflection as we finished our days and before we sought our rest in the Lord, that if we created some hard stops, we'd be able to grow in prayerfulness. So we need to set some reminders on your phones, figure out some way to keep this in front of you because we're tilling up the soil with patient discipline so that God would grow this supernatural plant of prayerfulness in our lives and in our church. Back near Guest Connections, we, uh, we created these wristbands. You'll find them and they've got our prayer that we've been talking about since August. And again, I'm not saying that you should remember this, but I put it on a wristband so it would help us remember it. And it's to wake, that the Lord would wake us, humble us, change us, anchor us, unite us, and send us as a church in 2017. And so there are youth sizes, adults, and extra large, because it's not just about adults, it's also about the next generation And so that's our prayer for 2017 for us as a church. But what's your prayer for your personal life, for your walk with the Lord? What are you laying before the Lord in expectation and anticipation for the year to come? Before we move into communion, before we stand back up and sing and give our offering, I want us to consider what's that one prayer that we are laying before the Lord with thanksgiving. Yes, our prayer as a church is wake, humble, change, anchor, um, unite, and send. But what about you personally? Students, what about you? What's the prayer you're laying before the Lord in anticipation? One of the activities that we encourage you to do in December was to uh, write out prayers you have for 2017 and place those back into the jars that we gave out. And there's 10 or 11 back at Guest Connection. So if you didn't get those, Uh, I'd love for you to get one of those before you leave. But when you walked in, there's a prayer card on your seat or there's some around you on the seats around you. But um, I want you to get that out now and I want to create some space, a couple minutes for you to write down uh, one prayer you have for 2017. Now, if you're like me, you got more than one prayer for the new year. I got lots. Hits me as a parent. It hits me as a husband, as a follower of Christ, as a pastor. But what's one thing you're laying before the Lord. You don't have to sign your name. That's not the point. 
If you want to, that's fine, because we'd, we'd love to be able to pray with you. But what I'm going to do is we're going to, before uh, we take communion, we're going to place these in baskets, and I'm going to place them in some sort of jar and as a staff and elders, and we want to be praying for these things in 2017, coming alongside you and us as a church, that we would see God move in miraculous ways, in great ways. And so what I don't want you to do is write down the prayer of, um, uh, God, I want to manage time better. I want to lay before the Lord something with great hope, with great expectation of how you're praying for him to move in your life or in someone else's. And so let's take a minute or two, write something down, and then we'll move on. So um, now we're going to get up and take communion. Instead of the trays being passed, uh, I want us to get up as a church family, walk down the center aisle. There's a couple baskets that uh, you'll find before you get to the trays. And make sure you get both uh, bread and the juice. Return through the um, side aisles there. Return to your seat. And as one church family, we're going to confess our dependency upon the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to celebrate the cross, His body being broken for us, His blood being poured out for us. We're going to celebrate that together in unity as one church family afterwards. And so let's, uh, let's get up and let's trust in God. And let's ask Him to move in our lives. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. The worship team could come back up. Father God, <clears throat> as a church, as we begin this year together, Lord, we confess that we need you. We need you all the time, not just for the last 10% of our lives. We need you for every day, every hour. Lord, thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that all things are possible with you. Remind us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the way that you worked in the book of Daniel is the same way that you are at work in our lives and in the life of this church and in the world. Lord, I pray that we, in 2017, that you would wake us. God, where we are indifferent to things or where we are um, uh, sleepy toward temptation, sleepy toward those around us who don't know you yet. I pray that you would wake us. I pray that you would humble us. Where there's uh, pride, where there's self-centeredness, where there's this uh, temptation we have to trust in ourselves, I pray that you would grow in us a spirit of humility. I pray that you would change us, make us more like you, Jesus, by the power of your word, the power of your spirit. Would you make us more like you? Would you anchor us to your word? tether us to it so that we would not stray from its truth but we would trust in your word we would we would see it its power at work in us thank you that it's living and active i pray that you would unite us as your people lord that we would be quick to forgive that we would walk with one another bear with one another for your glory I pray that you would send us. God, there are people around us in our circles of influence that don't know you yet, and would you give us opportunities to, to communicate your message clearly and then give us the, the desire to step into those opportunities and trust you in that. Help us to walk and live by faith. God, we pray that not only the neighborhoods around us would be reached, but we pray for the nations, for the missionaries and the organizations that we support around this world. God, that the, that the gospel would take up new ground in those areas. As we respond in singing and 
and giving our offering, Lord. I pray that you would take what's given, Lord, and that you would use it to expand your kingdom. We don't want this to be about us. We want it to be about you and your name and not us. So, Lord, would you be at work in miraculous ways in this year to come? We trust you as your people. We confess our dependency upon you, and we worship you, and we know that you are more than able. Let's stand up and sing. Let's respond and worship.
Father, we worship you. Lord, we give you all the glory and honor and praise that is due your name, Father, as we move into this new year. Lord, would you help us to know you in greater ways? Would you help us to understand the, the power that dwells within us that's not from us, but it's from you through your spirit? Would it lead us to a greater desire to know you, to be in your presence because you're with us? And God, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, would you help us to know that you are a God who is faithful, you are a God who is able to do far greater than we can ask or imagine for your name's sake and for your glory. And all of God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Happy New Year. Yeah, dude.